SEO tactics strangling your business. Hi, I'm Jared Krause, host of the Buying Online Businesses podcast. And today I'm speaking with Kevin Indig, who is the SEO director at Shopify. He is also the creator of the Growth Memo newsletter and host of the Tech Bound podcast. Before Shopify, Kevin ran SEO and content at G2 and Atlassian and helped companies like eBay, Eventbrite, Samsung, Pinterest, and many others multiply their organic traffic. Now, in this podcast episode, Kevin and I talked about SEO myths, and it was a great conversation around the different myths that are out there around SEO. Then we dive into like, why not just following myths and how to debunk these myths, but more so about SEO principles and philosophies that don't just lend to only SEO, that that can be applied to content marketing and different departments within your own business. Then Kevin and I start to dig into the weeds a bit more and talk about backlinks. Backlinks is the first point of call really where we talked about what type of content no longer gets backlinks anymore and what type of content does and how we should start to create content for that. We also talk about building backlinks naturally versus unnaturally and how Google can detect the difference and is a backlink still, you know, a thing? Is there much weight in backlinks now as there once was? We also talk about when should you start creating different content for a different category rather than just focusing on one category and creating more and more and more content. The better question that Kevin realizes is that when do you start diversifying into a different category? When's the best time to do that? Which we talk about. We also talk about targeting the same keyword, but with different intents, which doesn't equal cool keyword cannibalization. We also talk about duplicate content and why some duplicate content isn't so bad for your business or your site. And lastly, we talk about AI content. Where's it going and where will it be in the future and will it be valuable or not? And where is Google up to date with AI? Where do we believe they're up to date with AI? Do they have a stranglehold on it? Do they have a handle of it? Do they know what's coming? So there's so much value in this podcast episode around SEO. If you own an online business, you're absolutely going to love this episode. Episode. Let's dive in. Do you want to build or grow your content website? Niche website builders have helped hundreds of people to take their content websites from a few hundred dollars per month to over tens of thousands of dollars per month with crafted content creation, buying age domains, and link building strategies. These strategies have helped people increase their traffic, authority, monthly earnings, and their website valuation too. Head to nichewebsite.builders forward slash BOB forward slash to get 10% off any link building or 10% more from their content creation services. That's nichewebsite.builders forward slash Bob forward slash. I'll put a link in the description too. Kevin, welcome to the Buying Online Businesses podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be on. I was thinking a while ago when we when we got you on um, scheduled in, I was thinking, what does one ask the uh, you know the director of SEO at Shopify about SEO? <laughs> and uh, I thought the first place to start would be some myths because there's so many ideologies and perceptions around SEO that are non-serving to so many business owners, especially people that are using you know Shopify and using WordPress and stuff like that. So, what would you find are some of the non-talked about myths, I guess, or not as exposed myths within the SEO community? Because I mean, there's everything can be proven wrong if it, if, if, if you really want to, right? <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. See, the, the problem is that 
SEO is kind of a, a reverse engineered discipline. You know, there's no, I mean, sure, there is some sort of a handbook from Google, but it's very surface level. And there's a big iceberg under the water that Google does not talk about. And, and rightfully so, because they don't want anybody to, to game their algorithm. That the problem is that there, so first of all, there's like a, there are different boxes of myths. That's how I think about it. So there's one mm. box that is clear myths that have never been right. It's just, you know, people trying to sell some stuff or people making wrong assumptions and spreading those into the world. So that's that's like one box with very clear myths. And then there's another box with things that have worked a while ago and that might not work as well anymore. And you can call them myths or you can maybe call them, you know, outdated SEO tactics and strategy, but that also exists. And I think those are almost more dangerous than the box of myths that are clearly wrong because you know with a little trial and error a bit with a little bit of research you can quickly get to that box but the other one the one in the middle with those that the tactics that have worked at one point that's that's much harder to see through because you still have a lot of people evangelizing these tactics or advocating for these tactics and so uh an, an, an example that i could maybe provide is this idea of of uh maybe like link building right uh, there, there was a while ago uh maybe even until a couple of years ago there was this kind of trend where it was like okay you just create some infographics and you create a cool article and then people will link to it right and maybe uh, you cold pitch it, and I would call that a second thing that doesn't work anymore. You just mm. write 500 emails to different sites and ask them to include your link in their articles or in their content, and then you get some links. And that just doesn't work anymore, right? Like, the web has evolved much further than that. Um, pretty much everybody understands that backlinks have some sort of value. So in a lot of cases, you know, it either comes across as spam or as uh, harassment or people just want straight up money right like you see that in in, in south uh, in latin american uh, markets where people immediately they know exactly what you want when to reach out and they immediately jump to requesting some money for a backlink and so this whole area of seo backlink building hypertext uh, or, or hyperlinks better said that whole area is full of myths and one of them is also that they don't matter anymore that's another myth and, and google has been very vocal about trying to make that the narrative that oh don't worry about backlinks well you know also if you have spammy backlinks back bad backlinks we'll just take care of them for you and that is also not completely true and so um i think you know like besides giving you a couple of myths that are not true any longer the, the message i really want to bring across is first of all be very critical about the things you hear second of all make your make up your own mind about all these things test them get some actual experience and then reevaluate what you think about these tactics because there's a lot of outdated stuff out there sometimes fluff and sometimes it's it's just, you know, people trying to make money. Oh, that's so good. I think we're going to have to just unpack this a bit more because a lot of people listening are looking at buying blogs, content sites, uh, and a part of the strategy is let's buy some backlinks or let's go away and do some backlink building. And I think us just helping the audience become a bit more conscious about what can be beneficial and what can be non-beneficial would be so valuable for them. So I'm I'm fascinated when you say backlinks is, you know, just doesn't work anymore or it's just not that much of a thing. Are you are you feeling that Google isn't putting as much weight into good backlinks as they once did, for example, from a high ranking or, a, or an authority site? It's a good question. I would say, if I had to to refine my answer a little bit, I would say that this this kind of infographic-driven type of way of link building doesn't work anymore. Yeah. But backlinks are still very valuable, actually. And I think yeah. it's gotten a lot harder to get them unless you pay. And so I, 
I, I actually like so just to be clear, buy, buying backlinks, paying for backlinks is clearly against Google guidelines. So yes. if they will catch you doing that, whatever way that is, they will penalize you and it will have severe consequences up to a point even where your the, the block you just bought or the website you just bought is completely burned. That can happen. Yeah. However, on the other side, and this is where, you know, like where I, I I, I'm, I'm departing from Google's narrative and I'm, I want to share some more real-life experience. On the other hand, a, there are a lot of companies pay for backlinks and that still works. So mm. that's kind of the real-life experience there. And so yeah. the, the, you want to pay a couple, uh, attention to a couple of things. So first of all, if you buy backlinks, um, then you want to make sure that these backlinks appear as quote-unquote natural as possible. Mm -hmm. So make sure that you buy links from relevant sites. Don't buy anything in the casino space, porn space, or pill space. Right There, there used to be the three Ps, the porn, pills, and poker. So yeah. avoid these at any cost. Even linking to them, don't, don't do it. Unless you're in that space, of course. Then it's a completely different situation. But let's pretend you're not. And make sure that... that not just the site is relevant to yours, but also that the position of the link makes sense, right? It's very easy to see when somebody has bought links. When you read a blog article, the link is kind of squeezed in, right? It's a link about topic X, and then all of a sudden there's a sense about topic Y, and it goes back to topic X. Machines can understand that very easily today. So avoid that at all costs. But backlink buying from a high-quality site, it still works. That's just the reality. Uh, and it is, in part, when it's done well, it is nearly impossible to, to understand for Google. But again, you want to be careful with negative signals. So one signal, again, is a relevant site, a backlink that doesn't make sense in the content. Another one is getting backlinks too quickly, right? So if there's a new site that hasn't gotten a lot of links, all of a sudden it gets 1,000 links overnight, very bad signal to Google. Unnatural unnatural very out of and, and this is you know when we talk about unnatural we're talking about pattern recognition and if google is good at one thing it's really pattern recognition and so anything that stands out from the common patterns is a red flag and will quote unquote trigger maybe an algorithm or maybe a quality rater to take a closer look at your site and see what's up there another one that's really important is hard anchor text so if you're selling shoes and all your backlinks have the anchor text shoes there's a point where you can overdo it. You know, you want to, when you buy backlinks, again, which I'm completely judgment-free, a lot of comp companies and sites are doing that, then you want to make sure you have a quote-unquote natural link profile. So you, you take some tools, you assess your competitors, you see what are they doing, how many links a month are they gaining, what kind of links do they get, and you want to be on the upper bound of, of that kind of, pattern or if that's link profile mix mm -hmm. uh, and that's how I would approach it um, so I think it still works uh, you have to be a bit more careful and Google really tries to push the narrative that they can you know it, it doesn't matter anymore and it's just the content that matters and that's just they're not there yet yeah that's excellent that's excellent I agree uh, wholeheartedly around it looking natural and looking on the same trend as the site has been going. And you can slowly reverse that, but you can't just do it all in one hit and say buy uh, a million links <laughs> just in one go and, 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 and look natural. That's just not a thing, depending on the site, obviously. Also with the infographic, you know, this is, this is a thing that people will be like, if we just create good content and we just create an infographic because people are going to want an infographic on their site and they're going to want to source the infographic that we create, then great. But I find infographics have, maybe they've had their time 
in terms of type of content to consume. Whereas now videos are really valuable. People want to put videos in their content more so than an infographic. Would you say videos can help get backlinks or what would you say can help you get a backlink if you are a blogger these days whilst we're on that's the such a good question that's a that's a great question because some sites still do this shopify is a great example at shopify you know we have such a strong brand we don't we get a lot of links organically it's the same i worked at atlassian a while ago you know a popular australian company uh and their, their products were just so popular they don't need to do active link building. They don't need to reach yeah. out to sites, but they can still drive organic links with really good content marketing, basically, right? Uh, or, or linkable content, linkable assets. Those things can be articles where they, for example, just share some stats. Like in the, in the case of Shopify, when we write about, I mean, we have a lot of merchants on our platform, a lot. Like we have a huge chunk of the e-commerce ecosystem. And so when we write, for example, about the GMV of that whole ecosystem, right? The, the gross merchandise volume uh, or basically all the money floating through that ecosystem, that obviously is very attractive to even some big news outlets or some big publishers. And they will reference that simply because we're Shopify and because of our product right so but then of course as a, as a small blogger right you know, that's a completely different game and so yeah. there are a couple of tricks that you can apply one of them is to just collect a lot of statistics about your area or about your niche uh, mm. and just provide them because bloggers or other bloggers and journalists look for statistics when they write articles they look for some hard data uh, and so you can aggregate that from the web accumulate that in best case you can provide some unique data however you do that, you know, like there are different ways. Sometimes it's surveys, uh, sometimes it's it's combining different data pools or some public data or visualizing public data. Those things still work really, really well. And yeah, any basically anything that's that's relevant to journalists. And the problem is that compared to, for example, two years ago, sorry, 10 years ago, there's just not as much organic linking going on anymore. And so you really have to send out, you have to provide something very original and juicy for journalists to to mm. uh, to reference. Oh, the, I don't think people, if they didn't pick it up, they, they certainly should. You did mention, you know, collecting a bunch of data so people can, you know, take that data, but it's mainly what you're trying to write for or trying to create content for is for journalists to consume, to use as a reference. Uh, that's that's valuable. I hope people picked up that right for, right for the journalists because they're the ones that are going to pick that up and need to sort of plug that where they found that data. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that. It's very, like you said, it's very different between bigger sites and, and smaller sites. You know, you guys are getting a bunch of natural links and, you know, smaller bloggers have to work for it. Moving on, we've talked about links a lot. I want to talk about a few different philosophies that you may carry or teach uh, within Shopify around SEO. So SEO principles, you know, people have, you know, write good content, backlinks, build your authority, a few different things. What are some what are some SEO philosophies that you like to teach the team uh, at Shopify to adhere to? Because I think too many people will stick in in the space of SEO, not just SEO, digital marketing, will be looking for the next tactic and looking for the next little strategy, but may not understand good principles and philosophies around SEO. 
um, to to run those strategies and tactics through to see if they're going to be the right thing to do for their site or business. So do you have some philosophies and, and principles that you'd like to adhere to? I love that question. I'm so glad you asked that, Jared, because everybody's asking Thank for you. the tactics and for, you know, what's the latest <laughs> trick and thing. And sure, that's fun and, and exciting. But the, the principles is what's really at, right? Principles, yeah. in, in essence, if you think, and you can apply that to life, you can apply that to digital marketing, SEO, whatever, right? But principles, that's where real life experience comes in. Mm -hmm. And if you can tell, you know, I'm pretty bullish of, the, of this point of like, sure, read everything that's out there on the web, but then freaking apply it and get a taste for it yourself. Like really, like build your own corpus, your own, you know, uh, inventory of experience. And so that's mm. one of the first principles that I actually really teach, uh, whether it's at Shopify or some of the other companies that I worked at, it's test and learn. It's so basic, but most people don't do that. They come to the table and it's like, you know, here's here's this thing that I'm recommending. And then you ask, okay, so why do you recommend that? Why do you think that works? It's like, oh yeah, everybody says that. Or it's like, yeah, I think it makes, you know, it's, it makes sense. And that's cool, but that's not enough. So mm. again, it's a very scientific mindset in so far that we run a lot of tests. I have a, a full team of SEOs at Shopify that they only run tests all day and they, they validate tactics. They, they see, hey, what happens if I do this? What happens if I do that? Mm -hmm. And we do this on a very scientific level because we do have data scientists who actually work with us on these tests and engineers. But even as a, as a one-person army, um, you, can, you can apply this methodology even if it's in a very simple way, right? You don't. It doesn't have to be this statistically correct test. Sometimes it's enough to just make a change see what happens, revert the change, and then see, you know, if it goes back to ba to baseline. And so just that, that's one of the, the basic principles then that I'm, that I'm putting my whole philosophy, my whole methodology on, right? It's mm. like collect experience, test things, try them out, learn from that, and then build more tests on top of that. And that's, so that's kind of like the, it's called like the, the Bayesian mindset. I wrote a blog article about this a while ago. And the, the idea of, of beige or uh, of base um, is founded in Bayes' theorem. It's like this mathematical thing, but to simplify it, it's just simply to, to build knowledge on top of the knowledge you already have, right? So if, for example, to make that very concrete, if, for example, you've, you've run a test on a meta title, right? You, you added a keyword, you reverted the change, you saw, oh, man, this really moves the needle. So mm. you, you roll it out, you keep it, and then instead of then running to run maybe a content test or a snippet test, run another title test, right? Like yeah. squeeze it out, run another test, see what happens if you go that direction. Oh, that's even better. Oh, you, so you're going to keep going in that direction. Uh, and that's that's this ba uh, um, Bayesian mindset, right? It's to like build on top of the knowledge and on top of the learnings you already have uh, instead of jumping around, right? Because sure, you can, you can test other things, but you start from zero again. So instead, test something, squeeze it out, until all the changes you make only have a, a small, tiny impact. And then you know, okay, you really got the most out of this. And then third is to just execute very uh, quickly and, and very well. So execution is this thing that's often forgotten because SEO is such a um, theoretical thing, right? Like most, most of the stuff that we do as SEOs is actually giving recommendations to writers, designers, or engineers. Mm -hmm. uh, and so really good execution is to, to roll things out at small scale, see if they have the expected impact, 
and then roll them out at larger scale. And this mostly applies to larger sites or larger companies. But one mistake that a lot of companies and people make is they they build up this business case and they 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 work on a staging environment for six months and then they roll out this one big thing. And that is just too slow, right? You want to rather see how can we roll something out every week or at least, you know, at least every other week so mm -hmm. that you can learn very quickly. And it goes back to the first two principles that I mentioned of like testing and the Bayesian mindset, right? You want to accelerate this cycle of learning and doing something different so that you can just outpace everyone else. Amazingly said, Kevin. I, I, I have an experience where, or an example, I mean, so many in my life and businesses, but one that I've used with a client around your Bayesian mindset um, for growing a business First and foremost, what, what I like to teach people is to not just go after the listen to a podcast, listen to a YouTube video, go to an event and try and find the marketing or SEO tactic and then, and then try it out in your business. Uh, I'm more about dig into the business and get the data, right? And the information, which is like what the Bayesian mindset is, is find out what's working uh, and then sort of test more around that and and solidify it, I guess, make it more concrete. Once you realize it's a bit more concrete, then just add more in and then keep tweaking and testing it. For example, a client who came and bought a website business, we built it up and within like a year to year and a half, we doubled the business with him doing no extra work, you know, running a system and a process that we built based on learning how the business was once grown and built that out and hired somebody to run that and then just do little tweaks and tests with the system that we built to make it better and better and better and better as it went through. Um, and so it would convert better. I think that can only be done by having that, like that Bayesian mindset, understanding you need to collect the data and then test again to get more data and then just make that flyback wheel far more concrete and far far more solid to once you have confidence in something like if you know something's going to work right 100 percent. why would you not do it you're just gonna you're just gonna do more of it <laughs> yeah exactly it's like strip away the fat yeah. uh and yeah. it really goes back to bayesian mindset another another perspective to look through is the 80 20 rule or the pareto rule and you see mm. that everywhere in business so an SEO example is that oftentimes a few blog articles or a few landing pages bring in by far the most dollars. Yeah. Uh, and so very similar in marketing, right? A few channels bring in the most dollars. Maybe a few people have the biggest impact in a marketing organization. And if you buy even a small business, you want to carry that same lens. Where is the fat? Where can we trim the fat? And how can we double down on the things that work? And how can we learn faster in the things that work than in everything else, right? It, it's, as you said, like you have these kind of these these mental models or these these principles or frameworks that appear over and over again, whatever, again, this applies to life, this applies to business as well. And, and that's why I love talking about these so much more because sure, I can, I can share a couple of tactics. What, what, what happens when you use these tactics or what happens when you know, you're, you're out of tactics and you're gonna go ask more people? No, like you wanna develop your own tactics and the own yeah. things that work. And that's yeah. what's, what really gives you competitive advantage over other companies. The stuff that's out there publicly is already used 50 times. So you wanna figure out a way to develop your own stuff and that happens through principles. Oh, that's so good. Developing your own own stuff based on experience of what's worked. How else are you going to be more confident in your in in what's working when you've got proof <laughs> and 100%. nobody else knows it? It's uh, it's it's so nice to know in your business 
and what uh, what one of my clients calls it is business therapy. When I do one on one coaching, it's like you come to the you come to the table, sit down with Jared, and you go, "These are my problems in my business. What do I need to do?" And Jared's not like you know business god. He's just a good. He's just a man that can ask good questions and then lead those questions to you working out. Oh, this is working really well in the business. Let's just do more of it. You leave the table with far more confidence, less stress about the business because you've just thought about it a bit more and asked the right questions based on what's already happening within the business rather than going, hmm, should I try like a bullet point list on my SEO post about this subject? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's all where it's at. You know, it's like, how do they say answers are cheap, but questions are expensive? Technically, if you, if you find the right question and everything else falls into place, you don't need the answer, right? Um, but yeah, yeah. anyway, I'm, I'm getting philosophical here. I think we're, we're on the same page about this, uh, but yeah. it's something that I learned the hard way. Let's put it this way. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> By going to too many, like taking on and doing, taking on too many tasks that just didn't work running around in circles. So <clears throat> I want to bring back to content structure because I mean, you, you've done, you've been in content for a, a long time and I was going to ask you the question around what are some of your principles and philosophies in content, but like you said, these philosophies run across not just SEO, but your life, which also run across content as well, which we can say the same thing, you know, double down on your content that's working and all those things that you've mentioned. But when it comes to structuring content, would you use the same, and I, I'm, I'm, presume I know the answer, but would you use the same philosophy? So for example, you've worked out that there's a category on your site that has, is doing quite well, bringing in traffic, getting backlinks and people are reading it. Would you go away and create another category or would you double down on, on that category and find more keywords to create more content around that and support all of those, those ones that are starting to uphold in Google? The, the question that applies most here is when would it make sense to follow a different structure? Yeah. And the the framework that I use for that is, and it's not my framework, this, this you know, is like a common, I don't even know who came up with that, but it's basically user intent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so the the kind of the, 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 the life philosophical uh, con- approach to that is probably context. What's the context of a search that decides the format of content that I want to provide? It all goes back to what people are actually searching for and the, the modern understanding of keywords is more so what intent are people trying to express when they search for a certain keywords. So we're not optimizing for keywords in that sense anymore. We're optimizing for user intent. And sometimes those can be the same, but oftentimes they, uh, they, they can diverge. And so what I mean is that nowadays, pages, blog articles, landing pages can actually sometimes work for, uh, rank for hundreds, if not thousands of keywords. And so that's why it, it doesn't... Sure, we do still do keyword research, but it doesn't make sense to just optimize for one keyword, right? Because uh, you yeah. can rank for a thousand. So you want to think more about the intention of the user and optimize towards that. And that then decides your optimal content structure. So when somebody mm-hmm. looks for, uh, say, best business tips, that is a, a, an intent that often means people want a list. They just want to see the 10 best, the 50 best, the 100 best mm-hmm. uh, tips. And that will often then... Um, decide the structure of my blog article, which is more of a listicle, right? I, I then want to write about the test tips. And of course, there has to be a bulleted list, right? If you if you have the best as a modifier in a keyword, then uh, there has to be a bulleted list, sometimes numbered, sometimes unnumbered, depending on what people really want in that situation. But then when it comes to something like, why did the stock market go down? 
that obviously cannot be answered by a list. I mean, you can squeeze it into a list, but what people really want is a qualitative explanation. And that's where paragraphs uh, make a lot more sense. And to take this a little bit further, even probably a video might be a better answer to that, right? So uh, I, I'm going to, yeah. not going to overcomplicate this, but for certain user intents, people just, uh, sorry, Google just shows a video because that's the best way to give an answer because you can say it in one minute instead of reading this long text. So anyway, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the the way for me to come to an answer whether I should use a different content format or not is to look at intent that I'm optimizing for, often in the form of a keyword, but you don't want to you don't want to take that keyword too literally. So an example, right? Airbnb in 2016, they had these beautiful landing pages uh, around the intent, things to do in city, right? So things to do in San Francisco, things to do in Chicago, things to do in New York City. And it was a perfect page because it had a a list of things to do uh, and it had a map next to that list. So you could see where you can actually do that thing. And the intention is basically people traveling to a city, they're probably new to that city and they just want to do some fun stuff in that city, maybe some tourist attractions, maybe maybe something different. And, and these pages, each of them rank for thousands of keywords because there's so many different permutations and ways to express that intent. It could be things to do in San Francisco or what to do in San Francisco, tourist attractions in San Francisco, right? These are all the same intention, but they're different keywords. And that's why I'm saying don't optimize for the keyword, but try to understand the actual intention or user intent that people have when they search for that and then Base the format of your content on that. Now, if you if you go after lots of similar user intents, then sure you can repeat the same format. So, say for example, you bought a review site, right, and it reviews different products. Then sure, if you go for intent of like best, um, uh, I don't know, best dumbbells, best barbells, best fitness bands, best best protein powders, you can repeat the same content format for those. But that's because they all target a very similar user intent. Love it. And I guess with your silo or category or however you want to call it, structuring it, having the different levels of intent within different articles will be valuable, right? Like not just having a list uh, of one article, but also having another article with an intent that where you need to explain something in further depth and you can produce a video around that and also have it in text where people will consume that over say maybe a, maybe a list as well. So would you suggest having all those different types of formats? It's such a good question. And and my strong recommendation is to play around with that a little bit. Um, what we've seen, for example, even up until maybe three years ago, maybe even two or three years ago, is that long form content really outperforms short form content, right? So you could mm. basically take five articles around the same topic and put them together and they would be greater in some than each of these articles by themselves. Yeah. And now I'm not so sure anymore. I see very short form article articles ranking for some juicy keywords. Uh, like a, like an example would be what, what is keywords, right? Like what is drop shipping? What is, yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. what, uh, like what is free cash flow? What, whatever comes to mind, right? You don't need as, as long of an article anymore to rank for these types of keywords. It seems to me, and that, this could have been Google's uh, paragraph ranking uh, update or, or who knows what update it was. Uh, can only speculate at this point, but it seems that Google has come to understand much, much better how deep a piece of content is rather than how long it is. And oftentimes these go hand in hand, uh, but for certain keywords, like what is queries, it seems like we don't need a long 
keyword anymore, or sorry, a long article mm-hmm. anymore. You can do it with a shorter one as well. And so I would honestly play around with that. You, we, what we also see is that the, the understanding of duplicate content or keyword cannibalization has completely changed. I'm actually not really bought into that anymore, which will be controversial for lots of SEOs out there. I think if there's a if there's a now to, to like put that into context, right? Uh, if you have an e-commerce site, you have two category pages and they show exactly the same products and there's no content to differentiate them, then it's probably a case of duplicate content. So there are these hardcore cases where the content is 100% the same. But what we also see is that you can rank with several articles on the same domain for the same keyword. A huge example for Shopify is dropshipping. Google dropshipping, and you will see us ranking with at least two, sometimes three pieces of content. One of these pieces is what is dropshipping? Then the second one is a dropshipping guide. And the third one is something like, is dropshipping legit or is it legal? And that works because it's a shorthead keyword. And there are many different intentions that this shorthead keyword covers. So in the official Google documentation and their their quality rated guidelines, you find explanations about how shorthead keywords target three different types of user intent. One is the dominant intent. The second one is the common intent. And the third one is the minor intent. And so the reality is that shorthead keywords like dropshipping or like shoes or like, I don't know what, desk, they're so ambiguous. There's so many things that can be meant with that keyword Mm -hmm. that Google just understands what the three kind of most common ways are, and then it will rank sites accordingly. And if you have a piece of content or two pieces or three pieces of content that address three different types of uh, user intent for a single keyword or a single uh, query, so to say, then you can rank with several uh, pieces of content for the same keyword. So long, long and winded way to say that you want to you want to play with long form and short form content there's no one answer to or one universal answer to saying yeah you always want to write long articles or you always want to write short articles so the the, mm. the 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 short answer is it depends and the long answer is what i just gave you <laughs> i love it I'll, i absolutely love it <clears throat> so testing it all out and i'm so glad that you mentioned something a bit controversial around you know you can rank for the same keyword multiple different places i think that's really and the way you explained it it, it makes sense i want to shift gears into ai content <laughs> we don't need to spend a long time on this i have my thoughts and doubts around it uh how good do you see it these days and do you see it being a thing or do you see us and google going it's just not going to cut it that's yeah, interesting <laughs> So even up until two years ago, I was I was very skeptic and doubtful about AI content. Mm. Um, and my thinking there was that if everybody can create the same type of content, then why would Google reward that in a, in a sense? Like if everybody has the same content, then other factors make a bigger difference. And I still believe that to an extent. But what I have learned the last two years is that there are actually some ways to create good enough AI-driven content and rank with it and sometimes rank even well with it. And so as always, the answer is much more nuanced. Does it work? Does it not work? It's it's not that easy. I think it works in certain situations and circumstances. Uh, say, for example, if you're on the e-commerce side and uh, you have a lot of uh, category pages or even product descriptions and you want to re- rewrite, rewrite those, that's a perfect use case for, for machine learning. Uh, and no writer wants to write this, by the way, right? Like this is, this is good work that can be outsourced to the machines. Um, but I see more and more really good, even long-form content written by machines. In fact, there was just a, a kind of a, a scandal where a an engineer from Google was um, 
kicked out of Google, was fired because he rang the alarm so hard about Google's AI becoming sentient. Uh, and it's really interesting. You can read um, the conversation he had. Google developed machine learning model, uh, and it's 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 pretty it's pretty crazy, right? So I, machine AI has not become sentient yet, uh, but it was. I can I can understand why this guy made such a big deal out of it because it seemed scary real, and so I think I underestimated how fast the developments in machine learning uh, progressed. And I think you can, in part, make some really good content today with AI. Now, we've tested a lot of tools. We've tested AI content at Shopify. Uh, it didn't work as well. Um, so I don't think that, th that this technology is as easily accessible. And I don't think we're yet at a point where you can just publish it without an editor really grooming that piece of content, streamlining it, making some corrections and make it more readable. But reality is that there's some there's some good machine learning content out there and Google ranks it. So it's going to be very interesting over the next couple of years how all of that is going to play out and what the use cases are for machine learning and how Google is going to be able to reverse engineer that and reward quote unquote human written content. That's going to be, it's going to be really tricky. And I can speculate more about how they could do that uh, and, and how that would work. But uh, I think it's a problem. I think that my impression is Google is not on top of it. Uh, and yeah, let's see how accessible that's actually going to be. Yeah. I, I don't think they are on top of it as, as much as we would like to think they are. So I've got a, an S you might actually know him. Um, so Stefan Spencer, mm -hmm. um, he's a great SEO, a buddy of mine, and he says, "How do you how do you control an AI?" Uh, and it's it's with another AI, basically. <laughs> yeah. It's like a black box, uh, and yeah, you need to have something quite sophisticated to be able to take over and control something that we may no longer be able to handle <laughs> now this is a this is a conversation that we shouldn't go too deep in because <laughs> we could just talk about this for a long time um, it's uh it's it's a, it's a deep conversation and, and tricky uh, the way i see this play out uh maybe i can give you my take on this I expect google to develop a very strong understanding of things that an ai can answer very well and things that an ai cannot answer very well so for example Today, going after keywords that are very, quote unquote, shallow, that are very quick and easy to answer and that have a very definite answer, it doesn't pay off as much anymore because in a lot of times Google answers that question themselves, right? Like, yeah, uh, the who's the current the president? How long was yeah. the 30-year war, right? Like, what's the capital of uh, Zimbabwe, right? Like, these are quick and easy answers. No SEO should go after those because there's barely any traffic coming after it. Uh, and I, I assume the same will, will be the case for topics that are just very easy for an AI to answer and to replicate, right? A lot of processes, a lot of existing knowledge that's already out there. We just really have to aggregate it or synthesize it. Uh, and on the other hand, is stuff that's, that's difficult for an AI to um, comprehend simply because it's a lot of forward thinking. If you, uh, if, if for example, you have to combine or basically if, if you need a lot, of, a lot of experience to to give an answer to a certain topic right like that could be that could be something that for an ai might be really difficult to understand say um current economy right like everybody's like okay what's going on is it going to be a recession is it going to be stagflation how long is this going to last are we going to recover mm -hmm. quickly very very difficult to handle for an ai even though an ai could probably synthesize all the information out there much much faster than a human being 
but an AI does not have an understanding of how all of these factors could play together because there's not a good description, right? If it was easy to answer, we all we all would know what happens tomorrow, but it's not. And so I think those are the kind of topics that humans will still dominate in and where human-created content is still going to be so much better. And I think that's what Google is in part going to reward. And for all the other things, it's going to be, it's going to be stuff like brand recognition, backlinks, or uh, other signals, maybe, maybe page speed um that are outside of content yeah love it i love it i think where people get tripped up is they're like oh an ai i can get this done cheaper faster and better to replace a human being in the next sort of few years uh, in terms of great content it's going to be a tricky one to do kevin thank you so much for coming on it's been a pleasure to chat to you love hearing your thoughts and philosophy philosophies around seo and business and life and how it all relates Thank you so much. Where can we send people to check out more about what you're doing? Yeah, thanks, Joe. It's been great coming on. Uh, we probably only covered 10 of the 70 questions that you had prepared, but happy to do a round two at some time in the future. Uh, if people are curious to read more and, and, and read through some of the concepts that are referenced uh, on the podcast, they can go to kevin-indig.com. Uh, and on Twitter, I'm at Kevin underscore Indig. So real life name, real, real name, just type in the google you should find me awesome awesome guys check that out there'll be links in the show notes as well thank you for listening if you have an online business doesn't need to be a content site if you have an online business make sure you go back and listen to this again there's so many profound philosophies and principles that we talked about that can relate to not just seo within your business but many other departments within your business and if you know somebody that has an online business or is going to buy an online business, make sure you share this podcast episode with them. Yeah, we love it when you subscribe and you like the show and all that sort of stuff, but sharing this is the best form of currency to be able to help people. So please do so and we'll speak to you on the next one.